good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Aren't you thankful that Mike didn't make us do all the dancing that these young ladies did up here? Some of us probably need a little bit more of that from uh, this Thanksgiving time. Oh, man, what a wonderful celebration, huh? Thanksgiving. Ah, I love it. I love the fact that uh, it's good food and then there's always leftovers and you just keep on going for a while, right? Is this, just question here, is this kind of like the only time that gluttony is not a sin? Is that, would that be? Okay, all right. Well, we do want to um, welcome those who are our dungeon dwellers downstairs too, and those who are watching us online. I know I forgot last week to welcome them, so I'll probably get in trouble next time I see them all. But anyways, good to have you all here. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we are finishing up a series. We've actually been going through the book of Acts over the last year, and in the last six weeks, counting this one, we've been uh, taking a little bit of a deeper dive into various aspects of Acts. And today we want to finish that all up by talking about church leadership. Now, as we've been going through this book, and, and, and especially now with the deep dive that we're doing here, uh, the intent behind that is for us to glean something more from that particular study that might be impactful for us. And uh, so I want you to consider this whole thing of church leadership, and eventually, as we go through this today, laying this out, there's going to be things that you and I are responsible for. And, and so we're going to lay a foundation for that so that as, um, as we learn then a little bit about those things that God might be using us in the things that, that, that we have before us. I think it's a wonderful thing that God has done in the provision for His church. Last week, we saw that He has given us His Spirit to live within us. And he empowers us, right? He, he provides the ability to do what it is that God would desire for us to do. We've seen that in the early church, and we've seen that all throughout the church history. Even to this very day, you and I are able to trust God for that. And we're also seeing that same kind of thing in regards to church leadership. So if you have your Bibles with you, can you open them, please? And uh, we'll start out here in Acts chapter 2. We'll put it up on the screen here for you through the book of Acts, and then we're going to get into the epistles. So hang on to your Bibles because we're going to be turning some pages, all right? What I want to start out then with you is showing through this book of Acts the various places, or at least a number of them, to give you an idea of where God was talking about leadership and, and what he was showing us. And it's not in a sense of the blatancy of, now I'm going to teach about leadership, right? It's going to be as we walk through it, we're going to see God providing for the, for the church those that are, uh, he desires to be in that role and to provide direction. Again, I think this is such a, a gracious thing of God. If, if you remember... As Jesus was walking on this earth, he had 12 disciples with him, and he was teaching them and preparing them and, and walking through life with them, but setting them up for a time when he would be gone, when the Spirit of God would come, and these individuals would be used by the Lord to give some direction. We're going to see that happen here as we go through the book of Acts, and then we're going to see no, uh, a bit of a transition. We're going to see a movement from those particular 12 to the, can I call them, the next generation of leaders, and they're largely described with the word elder, and we'll see that through this, this um, letter, and then we'll dig deeper into this as we go, all right? So in Acts chapter 2, Verse 42, it says this, and I'm just jumping right into the middle of it so you get the sense of this. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. 
right? So the, if you remember in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God had come. Now the church starts, right? This is the day of Pentecost that the church has begun. And um, remember, as, the, as people heard them speaking in tongues and stuff, they're going, what's going on? And Peter stands up, and Peter says, well, I'm going to explain it to you. And as a result of that explanation, over 3,000 people in the city of Jerusalem get saved. So you got at least about 120 who start out there, and now another 3,000 who join them, and all of a sudden, we got a church, Right? And the scripture tells us then in this verse that they, that, that group of believers, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. These were the guys who were set up by the Lord to give direction, and they began to teach and to lead in all of that. Now, I'm not going to go into every verse, but, but if you go into chapter 4 and you go into chapter 6, you'll also see places there where um, the, the apostles are actually explained expressed as giving direction. For example, in chapter 6, if you remember, there was um, the, the gathering of food for people who were in need, for widows and that kind of a thing, and some were being left out. Do you remember that? And so the apostle said, hey, there's a problem here. We're going to fix this. You guys choose out, I think it was seven, six or seven of those individuals. We're going to appoint them for this particular ministry. They gave direction, in other words. And you see that through the early stages of the church. <clears throat> then as we move on, in Acts chapter 11, this is the first time, as we go through chronologically, this is the first time when elders are mentioned. And here it's found in verse 30, and this is in the context of, by this time, remember uh, Antioch, another church has been birthed, and there are believers there, and those believers hear about in Jerusalem that there's, that there's problems financially, that there's hunger there, and they decide that we're going to gather some, we're going to collect some finances, and we're going to send it through Barnabas and Saul, and so they do, right? And, and this is what it says, they then uh, this they also did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And that just gives us a little taste of, oh, wait a minute here now. There's been no, oh, and now it's time for elders. All of a sudden, they just appear on the scene. If you remember, historically, what had happened was after persecution, believers are being, they're scattering. They're getting out of town because this guy named Saul was persecuting them. Now he's a believer, and now he comes back, and those believers are being led then by elders. They're actually being led by apostles and elders. And this is just the first reference of that as we begin this transition. Then if you skip into uh, chapter 15, there the context is that there's been a dispute. There's been a discussion. Is it possible for me to get saved by putting my trust in Christ alone? Or do I have to also do something in order for that to happen? And there's this, this rift that's going on, this dispute. And so they come back to the church here in Jerusalem and they meet together with them. Let's discuss this and let's see what the Lord says about this. And so we'll pick it up in verse 2. It says, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, with those who were in, in disagreement, Paul and Barnabas are saying, No, no, no. It's only putting your trust in Christ. That's it for salvation. And the others are saying, no, no, you got to keep the law too. Well, there, there's a, a dissension, right? And it says, <clears throat> they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders. And there you see them being linked together. 
The apostles are still alive, or at least some of them are still alive, but they, some of them have already passed on, and now we're seeing the second generation, and they're beginning to provide some leadership here. And so they come to the apostles and elders about this question. They're looking for leadership in regards to this from this group now. And so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, it says, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. So they're giving a report. They're, 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 they're understanding that these guys are in leadership over us, and, and we need to give a report. So are you seeing a transition? We're going from apostles and, and God setting them up, now into elders joining them, and eventually, well, turn, uh, you'll see here in uh, verse 6 of this same chapter, uh, that they came together to consider this matter. They were the ones who were making that decision. Then by the time we get to chapter 21... Paul has now done all of his missionary journeys, and, and he's returned now to Jerusalem for the last time. Do you remember that as we went through this book of Acts? That as, they, as he comes back, he's hearing all kinds of prophecy of what's going to happen to him, and he's deciding, I'm still going to Jerusalem anyways, and we'll pick it up in the middle, verse 18. It says, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James. He had come back to Jerusalem, went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. Notice that there's no mention of apostles here at this particular time. We've already gone through a number of years where those apostles, they're not all dead at this point in time, but, but they're passing on. They're moving on to different locations. And all we see now is just elders together. In verse 23, it says, uh, that, so, so Paul comes there, and they begin to give him direction. And here's an example. Therefore, do what we tell you. And they say, we have four men who have taken a vow. And they encourage Paul, like, you join them. You pay for everything. Because there's this rumor going on that you're preaching something that's not right. Okay? We want, that, we want you to show, no, this is, this is where you stand on this stuff. And you know what Paul does? He submits himself to them. Here's the great apostle Paul, who is, is himself an apostle. You can find that in multiple places in Scripture where that name is assigned to him or that title is assigned to him and all the responsibilities. And yet he finds himself submitting to these group of, of leaders then, right? Because now we've seen the church go through an entire generation, so to speak, of leadership. Picking it up in verse 25, it says, uh, <clears throat> these guys are talking and they say, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. In other words, they were exercising their authority. I don't know about you, but normally when I read that, my mind, I automatically think that the apostles are talking here and it's not in context. It's the elders. They're writing and saying, this is stuff that we've made a decision on, and they're expecting that the other believers are going to submit to that, because that would be a rightful thing to do, a rightful expectation, because God, in his infinite wisdom, has set up the church to have leadership. I was thinking about this from the standpoint of thanksgiving, and I thought, you know, all too often, it seems like in our society that when we talk about leadership, we kind of have a bit of a bad taste in our mouth. In part, it's because we're an independent people, right? We want to be able to do what we want to do, and we don't want to have somebody in leadership over us. We like to be in leadership over some people, right? Other people, no, thank you very much. I don't want to lead them ever kind of a deal. But we definitely don't want to have people over us who are going to lead us. 
But God in his wisdom has decreed that there's going to be leadership within the church. And I liken this last night to, guys, we're called the bride of Christ. Now, when you think about that, as a husband and a wife, the husband's mentality towards his wife, towards his bride, is something that's an illustration of how God views us. And in the view of us as his bride, he's saying, hey, I want to set up within every local assembly a group who will give leadership. This is so important to him that he actually makes sure that it is recorded in multiple places throughout Scripture. If you, uh, we're not going to take the time here, but if you recall in, um, in, I think it's chapter 13, where we find in the church at Antioch, and there's five guys that are there, and two of them are Barnabas and Saul. You remember? And the Lord says, hey, those two guys, you, you send them out. You give some direction. This is what I want to do. You send them out. So these leaders, actually, we see it in Antioch. We see it in, um, as you move down through there, we see it in, uh, uh, um, sorry, Crete, where a guy named Titus is sent, the island of Crete. We see it in... Um, Places like uh, Ephesus, do you remember as we were uh, talking about that? And Paul, in his last journey, comes around to this little town of Miletus. And from there, he calls for the elders at Ephesus to come there, right? The elders, it says plural, of the church, singular, at Ephesus. So in the book of Acts, we see multiple places where this is described. But again, God doesn't just finish with that. If you go then into the epistles, you see like in Philippians that he talks to the, uh, he writes a letter to the, he calls them bishops at that point, or overseers would be the word there. Same office of an elder is what he's talking about. You see this in the letters to Thessalonica. You see this in, in James's letter. You see this in Peter's letter as he writes to the dispersed Jews. You see See this in Hebrews over and over and over again. In the scriptures, you will find a plurality of leadership. Why is that important for us? Because if we as a church are just a continuation of what Acts began, then we need to be trusting God for, now how do you want for us to function? What is it that you have for us? How does this happen? And as we've seen throughout the scripture, what we have found is that God always, and I'll say that again, he always places a group of guys in the leadership role within a local assembly, never one individual. I know you may have heard some of that. Well, some people call Timothy, Pastor Timothy. Do you know that you can't find any evidence of him being a pastor whatsoever? The closest thing that you can find is that he's actually called, he's told to do the work of an evangelist is what it says about him. But in our, in our culture, in our way of thinking, because we have a pastor of a church <clears throat> prevalent within America here, we immediately read into that kind of stuff. Why is that important for us? Because the Word of God tells us that, that the wisdom of God is foolish to us, right? Like we see things that God does and we think differently. We think that it ought to be this way. And so you look at corporations, you look at governments, you look at all kinds of leadership structure within the human realm, and guess what you will find? One individual, right? But God sees something different. What God desires is that this group provide leadership in such a way that he gets glory for it rather than this one individual. And so there's wisdom, actually, in God doing that. So in the early days, 
as those apostles were picked out, you remember that the Lord actually picked those 12. Hey, you follow me. Hey, you follow me. Come on, follow me. Put those nets down. Follow me. You remember that? He picked them out. And then as we go through the book of Acts, we see that they begin to choose other leaders. We see as Paul and that team goes around on their, on their missionary journeys, it actually tells us in Acts 14 that, that when they got to the end of the journey and turned and came back, they went back through all of these towns that they had been teaching in, and in every one of them, you mark it down, it says, and they ordained elders in every church, singular, right? So we see this happening over and over and over again. But then we also have... Paul sending out a guy named Titus and a guy named Timothy, and he says, hey, I want you to go to this particular location, and one of the things that's needful there is they need leadership, and so you set them up. And he actually writes down, God made sure that these guys understood who we're looking for. How do we then know who we should choose? How do we figure out who should be leaders within this assembly? Well, we've been looking at the scripture and we've been seeing it at work. And so we're saying, okay, God, we'll trust you for this too. There are a couple different places that we find scripture telling us what the qualifications are for an elder. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, that's one of the places. Another place is in Acts chapter, or, sorry, Titus chapter 1. There's, there's two places where we can find uh, qualifications. Now, I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but I, I want to tell you this because of a couple reasons. First of all, here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is what it says about them. It says then, it says, then a bishop must be, and it begins to lay out some qualifications. I want to center on that, uh, focus on that phrase, must be, because those qualifications that God is giving, they are qualifications that have to be in place. It's not like, uh, you know, uh, it's close enough. Oh, no one can actually kind of reach this, so come on, Tim, this is way too long. Like, we just want them headed in that direction. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture actually uses a term there, that they must be this. One of the reasons I want to highlight that for you is because we're going to see this in just a minute, but the scripture is going to tell us that the elders that are in that position, they are there as examples to us, to us as believers. And as examples, that infers that there's a following of them, a looking to them for that and following after that. So for elders, if they're going to serve in that capacity, they must be uh, qualified in all of those things, and they must remain qualified in all of those. In other words, they must be living a life where they continue to, to meet those requirements. But as an example to us, that's all put out there so that we also can see those things and say, Lord, I want to see those same things going on in my life. Let me give you an example. The very first one here in Timothy, it says they must be blameless. Most people get tripped up over that one. Because they look at their own lives and they say, well, I'm not blameless. I mean, if anybody knew about me, they would know the sins that I commit, even if it's just in thought, let alone the actions that I do with it. I would never qualify for that. Well, that understanding would tell you you're kind of missing something then. And my encouragement would be to, to begin to dig into these particular words, every one of them, to find out then and ask the Lord, Lord, what ones do I qualify already in and what ones don't I qualify in? Not because I want to be an elder, but because that is what you've set out as an example before me to follow after. 
Why are these things important? And just so you know this blameless, if you look it up, you're going to find out it literally means not called in. Not called in. That kind of sounds funny, doesn't it? Well, what it means is that, that you should not be in a position where we can call you on the carpet, hey, that's wrong right there, that's sin. Right? And when you do, you're making that right. In other words, you're agreeing with God. Hey, guys, that's what I just did right there. I just got angry with you. I'm sorry about that, right? So that there's no accusation that can be made against an elder that's going to stick. If you look into Timothy further, there's actually description for us of people who do make accusations. How should that be handled, right? We don't just hear some one person say, well, yeah, they were really being mean to me, and I'm really offended by that. Oh, well, then kick them out, right? No, like, no, there needs to be a, a working through of that, but that shouldn't, they should be in a place where that shouldn't stick. It would be as if Josh is over here, he's a police officer. If he sees you driving down the road and you're going over the speed limit, guess what? He's going to pull you over. And at that point in time, you're not blameless because you just got called in, right? <laughs> so what you do is you take that nice piece of paper that Josh is going to give to you and you mail it in or you go to the courthouse and you pay your fine. And guess what you are? Blameless. He can't come back and say, hey, you're going to jail now. Why is that, Tim? Because you didn't pay your ticket. Oh, right here. See that? There's my receipt, right? I'm blameless. I can't be blamed for that anymore. So even though I might be doing something that is improper, I make that right, right? It's just a simple thing. All of you should be blameless here today, right now. You should all be qualifying already in that. My encouragement to you is as you study those things, ask God to show you Lord, what things here do you want to highlight for me that you want for me to trust you to do in my life? Maybe it's the not soon angry one. Or maybe it's the not given to much wine one, right? Or maybe it's the one of not resorting to, oh yeah, we're going to disagree, I'm going to pound you for that. Thankfully, that's not really happening too much. But I'll tell you what, that's happened in churches. People have gotten into fist fights in churches. So we're not above it, people. But as you dig down into some of those things, you know what you want to do is you want to trust the Lord for the Spirit of God to begin to prick your heart. That particular one right there, that's what I want you to be trusting me for. That's one that I want to highlight for you because I think you got a need here, child. And I, and I want to, remember my son needs to be lived out. His life needs to be lived out in your mortal body. And that's a hindrance to that because that's not how my son acts right there. And so, so we begin to, to learn about these things as we see this within the elders. <clears throat> now, what about the responsibilities? God has assigned responsibilities to these individuals. Now, you might not be an elder, and you're going like, oh, okay, wake me up when he gets me to my responsibilities. But I want you to hear something here. This is what God has provided for you. This is what he's told them to do. Why? So that we as the flock might benefit from that. You talk about gracious. Well, let's look at a couple things here. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> we'll look at verses 1 through 3 here. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm going to just start. I want you to see some of these things for yourself. All right, you with me? 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 5. There we are. 
And this is Peter writing, and this is our first responsibility that we see, and maybe even the primary responsibility that these guys have and what we're benefiting from. Verse 1, the elders who are among you I exhort. All right, Paul, or Peter is, I'm writing to these guys and I'm, I'm encouraging them. And this is what I'm going to tell them. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Here's the first one, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. That's what he's telling them. Shepherd the flock of God. This literally means to feed the flock of God. To look after them in such a way that they get the sustenance that they need. Now, he's not talking about food per se and, and getting their spoon out and kind of like spoon feeding us. He's not talking about that. He's talking in the, in the spiritual realm here. Shepherd them. Behave towards them as a shepherd would, leading a flock to pasture, leading a flock to the place where they can drink, right? That's what they need to be doing. And you know what, guys? Our guys are doing it pretty good. Some of them are actually teachers up in the BTC area, right? Some of them are actually teaching some of us one-on-one. -on -one. They get together with us and, and they're mentoring that. But you know what else they're also doing? They're making sure that is happening. They're taking that responsibility of feeding us and they're looking out for, now who has God um, uh, given some abilities to teach? How can we help them? How can we even form a team that can help them? And they're, and they're giving some oversight to all of that stuff. They're following after this. Why? Because we're wanting to dig into the word of God and find out, well, what does it say? Those are the things that we want to be following after. So feed the flock of God. Notice that they are called, we are called the flock, because <laughs> we often act like sheep, don't we? Right? And there's some things about sheep. If you study any of this kind of stuff, you'll, you'll find that they love to graze, but then, they, then they are, they're, they're cud, what would you call it? Cud eaters, cud, I don't even know. They, they chew the cud. In other words, they, they sit down or they lie down and they regurgitate some of that and they begin to think it over, right? Like chew that over again and again and again. Well, there's a certain sense where that happens for us too. It's not one and done. We don't learn something and then, oh, I got that, moving on to the next, right? There's a constant chewing, chewing, chewing. Elders are supposed to help us with that. Sometimes that feeding also means to admonish us, meaning that they remind us. They're not teaching us something that we've never heard before, but they're reminding us of what the Word of God says. So they're constantly helping us and shepherding all of that. It goes on then to say, also, serving as overseers. This word overseers is the exact same word if you look up Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, where they're called bishops, meaning that their responsibility is to give oversight they look at all of this stuff, they watch it all, and they provide direction, oversight to everything. We have, every year, a ministry plan that all of us who are uh, paid staff here at the church are required to fill out. This is what we're believing God for over the next year. And all of that gets submitted to the elders for them to look at and, and to see, now does this fit in with, with where we are giving direction? If it doesn't, Tim, we'd like for you to adjust this. If it does, hey, Tim, this is stuff we think is good. It fits in. Go in that direction. We're with you on that, right? And they do that for all of the different teams. It's a, it's a, um, a process, a year-long process every year that, that we go through. Why do they do that? because they're providing oversight. It's not, hey, Tim, do whatever you want. Oh, you think that's what God, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And you guys over here, oh, just do whatever you want to. Hey, it's just one happy family. There's intentionality. 
There's, an, there's, a, there's a believing God for a direction, and we're going to go in that direction, and, and, and we want to do that all together. We want to do that unified, because that brings glory to God. So they give this oversight. Sometimes we don't like that because, again, we want our own way. Well, I think this should be in the ministry plan. But do they? Because God has assigned to them this responsibility of overseeing. He goes on with this. Don't do that, by the way, by compulsion, but do it willingly. Like, don't do that because you're forced to. And don't do it for dishonest gain, but do it eagerly. Like, be willing to do all of that. Don't do it as being lords over those that are entrusted to you. But here's the, the third one. But be examples to the flock. This is why I was saying in regards to the qualifications that, that <clears throat> those things are there for us be, to see in the life of the elder so that they're examples to us. We know what that's like. I can see, because I've told you before, I struggle with anger, right? I can see other elders who are on that same journey as I am, but there are a number of mile markers down the road in front of me. They, they've, been, they've been living life and been challenged by the Lord in that, and, and they're, they're trusting him, and I'm seeing less of a character, uh, characteristic of anger in the life and more of one of rest, more of one of trusting God, and, and figuring some of that, oh, so God can do it in their life. That means he can do it in my life. And I can trust, and maybe I'll even pursue them. Hey, what was it that God was doing as you've been living this life and following him on this journey of life? What has he been doing in your life that, that, that you could pass on to me that would be helpful for me? Because I struggle with some of that same kind of stuff. They're examples. Now, what that means also for them is they can't live life under a rock. They don't live life in such a way that, that they just put on a facade and when they show up here, oh, those are our elders and they look so pious and so put together. No, they live life on an open hand, being able to say and show these are some of the things that God is doing in my life. And they lead us by example because guess what? Discipleship requires some authenticity so that as we engage with other people, they can see we're trusting God just as we're encouraging them to trust God. That's what the elders are doing for us because they're, they're functioning as an example. Now, just so you know, if they're going to be that example to us, we need to allow them then to be that example. In other words, we need to look to them for that. The next passage that I have for you is in uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 9. I'm not going to take time to, to go there. But in Titus 1, this is what it says. This is another responsibility. It says, it uses the phrase, to hold fast the faithful word. In other words, not only are these guys supposed to be teachers and feed us, a shepherd of the flock, but they're also, it says, to hold fast. In other words, they need to know what the word of God says and stand on that. And, and when there's something that, that goes opposing to the Word of God, they need to be able to say, wait a minute, guys, not in a belligerent way. They're not, they're not autocratic in the heavy-handed kind of individuals. But this is what the Word of God says, so we're going to follow it. What you're talking about or what you're teaching there, that's inconsistent with what the Word of God is teaching. We're not going to go down that particular theological path because it's inconsistent with the Word. I see this in regards, to, again, to, to the BTC classes. They, they actually have it set up so that those of us who are teaching in that, we're, it's not just, hey, I'd love to teach. Oh, you would? Well, come on, you're a warm body, right? There's a process to go through so that there's a protection. Why? 
because they're being obedient to the word when it says to hold fast the faithful word. This is what God has to say about that. And I'm telling you, as we follow after what God has to say, what we have seen over 30 plus years is the blessing of God on this assembly. Why? Because we hold up this as our authority. We don't always do it right. We sometimes make mistakes, right? But all in all, there's an intent, a desire. God, if you would be pleased to help us to understand what you're saying, we'll be pleased to follow along. And wherever we find out that we're not following along, if you'll just open our eyes to that, we'll take a turn. We'll move in the direction you want us to do. God, you just lead. Why? So that in all things, he might have the preeminence, right? It's all about God. It's bringing glory to him. All of this working together says something about the God that we serve. One other one here, or two other ones, I guess. In James, again, we won't take time to turn here, but but James talks about this, and, and elders also have a responsibility that's more than just the spiritual. They care about me as an individual, about you as a person. Here in this context, this is someone who's sick. It says, actually, let him call for the elders. Let them come and pray over that person, anointing them with oil. It shows us that they are engaged in the life of people. I've had some of them come up to me. I don't know if it's got, I got bags under my eyes or what, but they're like, hey, Tim, are you taking a break? Like they're, they're concerned. They're wanting to make sure that I'm taking the time off that, that I should be taking, that they, that they think is necessary for me. I hope I'm not dragging around because of that, right? Like, but they care, in other words. They're looking for that. Lastly, in uh, Hebrews, if you want to turn here, because we'll be here for a couple times here, in Hebrews chapter 13, <clears throat> here's one other one, and we'll quit with this one and move on to our responsibility. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, this is, this is what it says. This is their responsibility. <clears throat> we'll come back to this because it talks about us too, but it says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Here it is. For they watch out for your souls. I'll tell you guys, if you stop and you think about that for a while, that that ought to cause our elders to quake in the knees, right? Because they're watching for our souls as those who must give account. They're going to be accountable for that. They're going to stand someday before God and they're going to be asked, so how did you lead my sheep? And the knees are going (laughs) to... They're going to be tending to do a little quiver, right? Unless we think back of last week that the Spirit of God lives within them too and he can give them the ability, the power to do that very thing, right? It's beyond them. But God wants to use them in such a way as someone who can watch out for our souls. Thank God for that. Because sometimes we don't all care for our souls too well, do we? Sometimes we make some pretty stupid decisions, running as hard as we can away from God. And they pursue us. And they encourage us. They can't make the decision for us, but they can walk that walk with us. So there's just an example of, of some things that the Scripture talks about that are responsibilities for the elders. But what about the responsibilities that we have? What's in turn for us? How does God want us to think in regards to the leadership of the church? Well, if you're in this chapter, back up to to verse 7 of this same chapter, and we'll get through these here in the next five minutes, I think, maybe. Not. (laughs) Verse 7. Here's the first one. This is for us. This is is important for you and I, and you 
you might get your toe stepped on. I don't know. Hopefully, if that's true, that's the Spirit of God stepping on him. And he's just telling you, hey, child, this is what I'm trusting you to be doing as far as your responsibilities in this. First one, remember those who rule over you. And this word remember is not like, a, like oh yeah, I remember who they are, right? But, but it has this idea of I'm thinking about them. I'm mindful about them. What's going on with them? We had one of them come up and pray right here, Scott Newland. Right? I look out here and I can see a number of them that are, that are here and there'll be some that'll be downstairs and some in the next service. And, but, but every Sunday, one of them gets up and you know what they're doing? They're praying for us as a fellowship. I don't know if you ever listen to some of that. Some of them craft those. They take time to actually think, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say? If you listen to, sorry to call him out here, if you listen to Phil Cavell's prayers, like you're going to hear some depth there, right? This is not off the cuff, and I'm not saying that they all have to write it out. I'm just saying that Phil thinks it through. Why? Because he's wanting to pray for us. He cares for us. What about Scott? What about Joe? What about Tim? What about, Mar what about all of these different guys? Is there a thinking about them and a caring then about them? We're, we ought to be knowing something about them that we can remember. There are some who go, I don't even know who the elders are. How can you be thinking about them if you don't even know who they are? So this tells us that there's a responsibility that we have to get to know them so that we can then be thinking about them. <clears throat> it says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow. There's another responsibility. That's why I said in regards to the example, they can be an example, but we have to follow after that. Why? Because we're being told the way that they're trusting God should be an example to us of the way that we want to be trusting God. We've got a whole building here. You know, Mike just was thankful about what the Lord has provided. Well, that's just the aesthetics. Recently, we've, we've changed all of this. But guys, we, we've got a whole building here that's totally debt-free. How did that happen? Because there were leaders who said, hey, we believe that this is what God wants us to do. We're going to trust him to supply for it. Let's believe him together. And as a fellowship, we did all of that. And now we're debt-free. And that's just one example right? We're, we're trusting him for outreach into this, into this community. That's why we've got follow the star, because we're believing that God wants to use context like that to draw people to himself. So we get involved. And by the way, 14, what was it? 1,400 dozen cookies. Sorry, that was, it should be 1,401 dozen cookies. Just drop that one off. I know what to do with that, but we'll taste that for you. Make sure things are good. Here's the next one out of this considering, the end of that verse, considering the outcome of their conduct. Actually, by watching them, by remembering, by thinking of them, we're seeing how does this play out. Most of the men who are serving in this capacity for us, their children are either out of the home or soon will be out of the home. In other words, I'll give an example, they're parenting in such a way that you're able to look at their lives and see, you know what? These things that they were doing in the raising of their kids, boy, I'll bet they could speak into my life and help me with that, considering the outcome of their conduct. I've heard some of them say, you know what? I kind of messed up in this, so don't do that. So it's not just here's what I did well, here's what I did poorly. Don't follow after that. Right? So there's a consideration of their conduct. Now let's bounce down to verse 17. 
Here it says, <clears throat> we already looked at this one, right? Obey those who rule over you. That's speaking to you and I. I love God. I love how he, I love the way he talks, right? We know this is inspired. And what I love about this is here this phrase obey means to like listen to and be easily persuaded by, right? To listen to and easily persuaded by. What they say has weight to it. It carries in our hearts. When they speak about something, we're paying attention to that. And it's not like we're being drug along. It's that that's easy. <clears throat> I was illustrating this last night. I used, to, um, I used to lead some guys on a hike every year. And I had one time where this guy, I found out every time we took a break, like sometimes we were literally after 10 minutes, we were getting ready to go, and he's just now arriving. Oh, my word. Like, so finally I went to him and I said, hey, dude, um, <clears throat> I know you're having trouble here. Next time we, when, when break is over, you, you get right behind me, right? Like you follow me. And then, then I'll know when you start dragging off and I'll, I'll slow down or I'll encourage you to speed up. Or, but I'll know because if you're at the back of the pack, I can't see you. So off we go, sure enough. And I'm headed down the trail and after a while I look back and I can't find the guy. <clears throat> so the next break, I'm like, dude, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe I misunderstood, you misunderstood what I was saying here. But like if you get right in my hip pocket kind of thing, if you follow me, then, uh, then we, we can make this work. And this will this will really help you, <laughs> right? Like, I'm trying to get this guy to be motivated. And off we go again, and I turn around, and, and he's nowhere to be found. <clears throat> he, he doesn't, he's not being easily led. I'll tell you, it is so difficult. You're, you're trying to do well, but, but you turn around, and, and, <clears throat> and who's following? Well, they're dragging their heels. Ah, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there, right? Like, so there's an admonition to us as believers to to follow along easily. That's not gullibly, just so you know. Like, that's not so that, well, whatever you say we will do. No, God actually gives us opportunity to engage, to talk about things, to be used by him even in, hey, have you considered this? You know what, Tim, maybe you wanna, you wanna speed up a little bit because we're all kind of we're all kind of jammed up behind you. Or, hey, Tim, maybe you want to slow down. We're kind of stretched out over two miles, right? Like, just give you a little feedback here. You can do whatever you want, but I'm just telling you. He says, obey those that have the rule. And here's the change. The obey is to listen, to be easily persuaded for an intention of the heart. But the word rule is actually telling us they actually have the rule. Obey those who actually do have the rule over you. I don't like that. But that's what God has said. Within this fellowship, the ones that he has placed into that role of leadership, I have a responsibility because they have a rule over me. I can do that unwillingly, but what God is asking is that I do that willingly. Obey those who have the rule over you. Why? Why would that be important to do? He says here, because they, they watch for our souls. That's what we've already talked about. And then he says, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, God is caring about us. He's saying that's an unprofitable thing. If you're being led by individuals that you're making it difficult to be led by, that's unprofitable for you. We think, no, that's my right. i got to stand up for my rights. Well, we got to decide whether we're going to be uh, uh, thinking the way God wants us to think or whether we're going to think the way we think we ought to think about this. And I'll tell you, our whole world speaks against this, doesn't it? Let's keep going here. The next one, did I miss Hebrews? <clears throat> there we are. Oh, that's, sorry, 1 Timothy 
I won't take the time to turn here either, but this one, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, talks about, it says, the elders who rule well, <clears throat> let, we're supposed to give double honor to them. And it puts it into the context what double honor is. It's not just honor because they're an elder, but it also then, the next verse says that the scripture says that you're not supposed to muzzle the ox when it's treading out the, the grain. In other words, there needs to be a care for these individuals. How are they doing? If we had an elder who was going through some deep financial trouble, would we be aware of it? If we don't know them, we'll never be able to remember, we'll never be able to think about them, right? We'll never be in that position where we're actually able to see some of that stuff and to care for them. Do you realize <clears throat> that the scripture says it's our responsibility to do that? Now, I'll tell you, you guys have done a great job. <laughs> There's been, we've had Pastor Appreciation Month. I don't know who figures all that stuff out, but I'll tell you, there's been people who have like communicated that. We have the opportunity to have Elder Appreciation Year, <laughs> every year. In other words, whenever it's possible for us to be able to communicate to them, guys, we're with you. Thank you for leading us, because they do it and they don't get paid for that. They're not doing it out of a responsibility that I have to meet so that I get my paycheck. They're doing it out of a responsibility before God himself. So we can be in a place of looking after one another in that regard and caring for them and encouraging them on in the way. Because all too often, they carry some of the hardships of that ministry without any of the encouragement of it. <clears throat> now, I'll give you another one here, and then we'll probably have to quit here. But First Thessalonians, you want to turn there real quick? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll stop. It says this. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So there's, a, there's an attitude that he's talking about here to recognize them, to see them, to know who they are. And, and that recognition, do you remember last week when we were celebrating that we have over 60 people just in this year who've become members together with us, right? We brought them all up here. We recognize them. It not, doesn't mean that we looked up here and we saw Liz and we said, oh, I recognize Liz. That's not what we're talking about. We recognize them in that we brought them up and we said, hey, these people have all become, hey, this is something. We recognize the value of these people. <clears throat> That's what he's talking about. A looking at them and a seeing and an understanding of that there is something about these individuals that God desires for us to have a right heart attitude towards them. It says to esteem them highly in love, to care for them in such a way that that care is, is a high regard. It's a, they know it, in other words. They're not questioning all of that. These are some serious things, wouldn't you say, for us? Can you see why the scripture then is, is laying out for us in the book of Acts? Here's what God wants. Why? Because as we function in the way that we've been talking about, as the elders meet their responsibilities and we meet our responsibilities towards them, then together we're being led by the Spirit of God, furthering on the things of God. 
that he's using us, whether it's in this community or out in this world or, or whatever. We, we collect our money. Here's an example. We collect our money together and the elders then allocate that and we actually are trusting them to allocate that in a, in a responsible way. And you know what's happening? People are getting saved as a result of that. People are, their needs are being met as a result of that. Right now, there are people who are buying Christmas presents because they couldn't afford it because this fellowship together have been trusting God to use our finances to help them out. This is the kind of stuff. And all of it speaks of a great God, doesn't it? And that's why we're asking for 1401 dozen cookies. <clears throat> right? Because we're trying to communicate in some tangible way we serve an awesome God who has provided for us in so many ways, one of them being the leadership of a church. And as we go through transition and we see things happening, we've got elders who are stepping off of that team and other individuals that are being raised up to come onto that team. We want to be a part of that. Maybe God has that for some of you. I don't know. There's qualifications that he would ask for you to, all right, trust me for then, child. Things to believe God for because the structure in the world's way of thinking looks so crazy, but in God's way of thinking actually brings glory to him. And that's what we want, right? Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you again for showing us from your word what you have to say about us and about life and just so many things. Thanks for even carrying to the level of talking about leadership we know somewhere down in our hearts, we know that that's a necessity, even though sometimes because of our independence, we chafe under it. But Father, we thank you for the men that you have put into our fellowship who are now serving in this kind of a way. We pray that you'll bless them. But more importantly, Father, that you'll bless all of us as a fellowship as we all submit ourselves to what it is that you're wanting to do. Because through all that, Lord, again, we just see your wonderful hand and we thank you for that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.